Hello and welcome to another episode of Rethinking Aloud, podcasting in the Diocese of Leicester, uh, encouraging conversation, discussion and reflection around the diocese. And today I'm joined by John McGinley uh, on the staff team of Holy Trinity here in Leicester uh, and training and development officer for the Archbishop's College of Evangelists uh, on the national leadership team of New Wine. Uh, and you do something for resourcing churches in the diocese too, don't you? Um, I'll tell you what, John, it was way easier knowing how to introduce you when you only had one job. <laughs> That's John McGinley, also joined by Vanessa Pinto, a V, an intercultural pioneer minister here in Leicester and a church army evangelist, and Father Philip O'Reilly, a vicar of Fleckney and Wisto. Really good to have all of you on board uh, for this conversation. And today we're talking about the E word, evangelism. Uh, a word which seems to excite some Christians, uh, to terrify other Christians, and I suspect that for most of us, it uh, probably does a little bit of both. Uh, but let's start by defining our terms. Uh, what do we mean by evangelism? Well, if I could go first, John, it's great to be with you. Um, I think this is the, almost the most important question because I think somebody has said that if everything's mission, then nothing ends up as mission. There's no clarity. And so for me, uh, evangelism is the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ um, by public preaching or by personal witness with the desire that we lead people to uh, saving faith in Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, um, John, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Um, before I attempt to answer this question, I think one of the things I like to highlight is I've noticed over the years how you know evangelism is a word which we sometimes seem to bat about a lot in the church you know some people overcomplicate what we mean by evangelism which can make some of us feel out of our depth um others you know seem to distill it to something quite basic which again can make some of us feel like we're lacking the depth of what evangelism means so it's important that we get a good balance but for me you know I think the word evangelism is rooted um, in the Greek words euangelion, which is the good news, and the euanglisio, which means to preach the good news. So for me, evangelism is to share, to preach God's good news, telling others about the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the difference it makes in our lives as Christians. So evangelism is sharing with others um, God's good news, but also it includes telling people our story so you know sharing our testimony but um one of the best definitions of evangelism i've ever heard was actually given by william temple and he said this evangelism is to present jesus christ in the power of the holy spirit so that all people shall come to put their faith in god through jesus christ to accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, and to serve him as their king in the fellowship of the church community. And I find that such a powerful and a rich definition. And that's quite nice, because I like the way that that definition almost segues for the person who's received the good news into mm -hmm. the beginning of the discipleship journey as well. So just yeah. sort of putting your, your two answers together, there's something about um, God's story and the story of salvation, uh, perhaps something about the way in which we might share our own story, but ultimately trying to connect God's story and his offer of salvation uh, with the life and the story of the person or the persons that we're sharing faith with. And that, that's really helpful. Um, I was thinking, Philip and John, you, you guys must have been ordained at the same sort of length of time as me, sort of somewhere between 20 and 25 years. Um, now, my recollection is 
that although we had that decade of evangelism in the 1990s, um, which never quite seemed to take, uh, it seems to me that it's only really in the last few years that evangelism hasn't almost seemed to be a dirty word in the Church of England or, or the sole preserve of a few weirdos. Um, why do you think it is much more mainstream uh, in the Church of England now? Um, well, if, if I have a go at this, John, I think um, mm. I've, been ordained, I've been ordained 26 years now uh, this year. And I think one of the things that's been a big change for me, actually, in that time, I think when I was first ordained, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be that difficult to come across clergy who, if you said to them, ask them a question about God, they say, well, it depends what you mean about God would be the first problem. And then I think you'd also find a lot of clergy in those days who didn't really believe that Jesus was the only way to be saved, that there's no you know, there's no way to the Father except through him. Um, now, I think that's changed quite a lot in the life of the church now. I, I think you'd find far fewer clergy who think like that now. Um, so I think people are much firmer in what their faith is, uh, which gives them something more to share and an imperative to share the good news. So I think that's been one really significant change. Uh, but I think also in this period, we probably had the Fresh Expressions movement under Archbishop Rowan. Um, and then Archbishop Justin has brought another new dimension with, um, you know, with his agenda. Uh, and I think that's probably uh, yeah, put, all, put all together. I think that's brought us to a much better place with it. So that mm. you know, people are much firmer in their faith, much more likely to share it. Mm, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I think I think for me it's um, alongside that there have been such changes in society uh, that that what people are realising is just having a a building and a parish priest in the centre of a community doesn't do the natural work of leading people to faith that actually quite often used to happen. And so I think for a large proportion of, of the Church of England's history, our pastoral evangelistic ministry of just being present and encouraging people to connect with God and giving opportunities for that has naturally done the job. And, and yet because of societal change, in which there's been a, a, a pretty large scale across the board rejection of the Christian faith by our society, uh, the result is, is that just doesn't happen. And so people are looking at what we're called to, looking at scripture and, and, and seeing that we are still called to be the bearers of good news to our communities. But we're realizing that that just doesn't happen, you know, naturally or by osmosis. It, it, it has to be intentionally engaged in. And so I think today people are saying, well, if we're going to see people come to know Jesus Christ, we're going to have to be more intentional about that now. And uh, and if we're going to be intentional, then as we look at scripture, it is about evangelism. It's exactly what V said about this, this proclaiming nature of, of what the nature of evangelism is. It's the speaking of it, it's the sharing and, and intentionally trying to make that known to people. And so I think it's, it's almost people have woken up to the fact that around us, people aren't following Jesus and we better do something about it. And the word that we give to that is evangelism. So it's almost so partly you're saying there that it's all it's partly a consequence of, of living in a post Christendom paradigm has mm. kind of brought the urgency of evangelism back to the attention of the church and perhaps spread the net wider than just ordained clergy or evangelists who are sort of recognized as such and has thrown it open much more to the whole of the people of God. Um, 
Mm. So, yeah. I mean, and that kind of brings us into, in our diocese, we talk a lot about everyday faith. Uh, one of our three everyday faith categories is everyday witness. Um, but just taking it a step back, kind of dealing with a really fundamental why question, why is it important that we tell others about Jesus? You know, what is the why rather than just the how to, but what's the why of faith sharing? Yes, I think this is um, a real significant question. And I love what it says in First uh, John chapter 5, verse 11. Hopefully I get this right. But it says something along the lines of, and this is the testimony God has given us into eternal life. And this life is in his son, Jesus Christ. So, you know, the scriptures show us that there is no other way to receive eternal life, but only through Jesus Christ. Um, but also, again, you know, when we read uh, Romans, Romans chapter 10, it talks about how, you know, how can people believe in someone that they have not heard about? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And so we share our faith. You know, we tell others about Jesus so that people will come to hear and know, you know, about the, the amazing love of God for all people through Jesus Christ. But again, I think one of the reasons, another reason as to why we share our faith with others is because, you know, Jesus commanded his disciples that they should go into all the world, go everywhere and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. And that applies to us as Christians today. Um, so those really are some of the reasons as to why we share our faith. And it's exciting. It's real exciting. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to echo all of that. The one thing I'd probably want to add into that is, is what the Bible reveals about uh, the state of people who don't know Jesus Christ. And the word that it consistently uses is that they're lost. And, and I think that if we have come to know Jesus and we've discovered the wonderful transform, transformation that he brings in our lives, then the natural thing that we would want to be is compassionate for people who are living day by day without a knowledge of his love for them and his presence transforming them uh, and the hope that we have in him. And so I think it comes out of our knowledge of Jesus and then looking at the world around us and, and having the, the, the compassion of God for the world which is lost without him. And the lostness of people, I think, can often be covered up because we live side by side with people and we go to work in the same places and we drive similar cars and we, uh, we go back to live in similar houses. But the Bible's really clear that their lostness is a day-to-day is a -day experience, that they don't wake up every morning knowing the love of God for them, yes. knowing the forgiveness that's won for us through Jesus. They're, they're, they're separated from God, and he tells us to be his ambassadors to help them to be reconciled, to, to, to share that ministry of reconciliation, bringing them back into relationship, bringing them home. They've got lost, and that's why we need to do it. And they're also lost for eternity, that the, the, the really challenging reality of what Scripture teaches us is that without putting our trust in Jesus, accepting his death on our behalf and his forgiveness, then there is a real risk for people in their death that they are separated from God in hell for eternity if, if they don't put their trust in him. And so... You know, I've said to, to people at Holy Trinity recently that if we, if any of us got the, got the cure, the vaccine for the coronavirus in this time, and we held it to ourselves and just gave it to our family, 
we would be classed as criminals um, because the need of people is so great. And the same is for the church today with the knowledge of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. It's criminal if we don't uh, share it with other people. The challenge for us, of course, is that the world around us doesn't know that it's lost. They don't recognize their lostness. They don't recognize the salvation Jesus offers. And that's why it's so difficult for us to get the telling of it so uh, right. Yes. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't. The reason is still there, because people need salvation. Yeah. And that lostness is really interesting, isn't it? I think that um, line in one of the sort of more traditional hymns, which says, um, lost indeed without you, or lost mm. indeed without something like that, um, speaking of those who aren't Christians. And, and not only is there that kind of element of lostness, but scripture also refers to those who don't yet know Jesus as being dead, doesn't it? It talks about them being mm. dead. I think the old yeah. authorised version in their trespasses and sins and everything. Mm-hmm. And the sense which, yeah. you know, I went through that life begins at 40 phase. Um, you know, I had those birthday cards. Uh, I'm now quite um, kind of comforted by the fact that 50 is the new <laughs> <laughs> um, But actually, biblically, it's almost like life itself begins when you turn to Jesus, uh, yeah. you know, Jesus come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. But there's that sense in which we're kind of, we're kind of dead until we discover life for the first time when we discover mm. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. So there are good reasons. Um, you know, Jesus tells us there's no other way to obtain eternal life but through Jesus. Uh, it's as much a part of our showing our care for others. Um, I think this is very much what John was saying as feeding or clothing or housing them is. And there was that verse in Romans that Fee alluded to, how will they hear if no one tells them? A whole bunch of good enough reasons. Um, But why, Philip, do you think we often find it hard to talk to others about Jesus? Well, I think there's a range of reasons, actually. I think, you know, there is that uh, sort of English uh, modesty, isn't there, that people don't like talking about personal things very often so there's a natural english reticence and that's a problem in our that's a cultural problem um i think the church has here in england um uh, so that's that's just you know like i said that's just a cultural thing uh in the air we breathe really but i think there's a spiritual question because i think um when we're fully alive like we're saying when you've experienced life in all its abundance when you've got a new life in christ he puts a new love in your heart for other people um, so I think actually uh, our difficulty in sharing our faith is often a spiritual, a spiritual renewal problem. Um, I've, felt for, I've given a lot of my ministry Matthew, to spiritual renewal, so I'm part of the Flame team, which does teaching missions around the country. Uh, we take people to the shrine at Walsingham a lot because that's a centre of spiritual renewal for us um, because we believe the church won't be fully alive until the people are really full of the life of the Lord until you've got the love of the Lord really in your heart, in a sense, you've nothing to share anyway. Um, so I think one of the biggest problems for our parishes is it's the spiritual renewal of the people. Um, I think it all starts there, really. Right, so almost you can't share what you haven't yet fully discovered for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Other, other thoughts? Oh, that, that's, that's really interesting. Other thoughts on that? Yeah, I, th- I think that for me it's... Um, it's partly this sense, as I was alluding to before, of us looking at the world around us and feeling that it just wouldn't be welcomed. So there's just a massive intimidating experience, sort of feel around it, which says, if I talk about this with somebody, then this isn't, as Philip said, how we normally talk, and this isn't 
the kind of things that we normally talk about. And actually, I believe some stuff that I know they don't believe. And so this isn't going to go well. And so thinking about how to connect the good news so that it actually feels like good news when we share it with people and it feels like a good thing to do rather than something that feels like it's just going to be rejected or feels like we're just talking at people. Um, So I think there's a whole range of stuff around. If we get to that point where people say, I want to, as Philip said, they're renewed and they long to share this with others. I think there's another load of hurdles to get over around how will this go well? How on earth is this going to go well with somebody who I care about, who I'm in relationship with, when I've never done this with them before? And so I think the fear, the anxiety, the sense of this, the models I've been given don't feel authentic and real. Um, Loads of stuff around this. I I really think it's so important we're talking about this because I think that a lot of people just feel guilty, but that actually just leaves them stuck, not knowing what to do, even if they want to. So I, I really think it's helpful we're talking about this. Yeah, can I just add to that as well, though, because I actually know lots of people um, in the church who do want to talk. They do, they, you know, they do want to share their faith with others. They mm. do want to tell people about Jesus, but they don't know how to. They don't know, mm. you know, where do I start? What is the gospel? Um, mm. What do I share about Jesus? So it's that whole thing of they just don't know what to share and what the gospel is. Mm. Which is which is similar to what Philip was saying, really, wasn't it? That um, either in terms of knowledge and understanding or in terms of felt experience some people perhaps aren't quite in the place yet where they where they've got that thing to share or or, or where they have realized that they've got it uh, the precious gift that that's within them um so so taking that a little bit further yeah you're all involved in church leadership in church ministry if someone said to you look i am that person i really do want to share my faith but i don't know how um, what might your response be to that? Yeah, when, when I knew you were going to ask this question, I thought this is the hardest question because it, it feels like um, it's, a, it's a long journey. I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a single answer to this. And so for me, I would want to take people on a journey that gradually built confidence because I don't think everybody can be expected to uh, be a great preacher of the gospel. I think that what scripture encourages us to be able to do is either to be a witness, which, as V has already said, is to tell our story, uh, or to, as as it says, to give a reason for the hope that we have, that when somebody asks us about our faith, to be able to give a good answer to that. And so the journey I'd encourage them to go on would be a prayerful journey where they begin to pray about sharing faith, pray about who God is calling them to share with, begin to capture a sense of that. And then alongside that, that sense of spiritual renewal and desire, I'd want to give them some basic tools of let's let's prepare some stuff. Let's let's get get a sense of you practicing uh, this. We've done this with Holy Trinity people, and we've done it with a number of different churches, and and it's something that we all go, oh, I don't like doing that. I don't like doing role play. I don't like doing practice. I don't like. This all feels a little clunky. But what we found is that when people have begun to practice telling a story of, of something good that God's done in their life um, or practice telling, uh, offering to pray for somebody or practice uh, how they'd explain the gospel if, if they had the opportunity to do that, then it just gives them a bit of confidence of, oh, I know what to do here. Mm-hmm. And by practicing it, they then 
have almost had an experience of doing it so that when they get out in the world uh, and the opportunity comes, then they're ready to do that. And so I think it's a bit on the spiritual renewal stuff, building a sense of heart for this, and then it's giving them some practical tools. And actually, that thing about practice is so obvious, isn't it? If you, if you play a sport, you practice. Yeah. If, you, if you play an instrument, you practice. If you take up watercolour painting, you practice. Um, and you do then kind of create that that muscle memory almost, don't you? So so why wouldn't you practice? Um, I, I know it does feel like, oh, my gosh, it's role-playing. But but actually, yeah, why not? But, uh, and if yeah, I could I, just say something on that, John, in that I think that there's a lie that goes around this that says if... We're, if our evangelism is going to be loving and authentic, then it can only just be sort of spontaneous in res- and, and, and as if we're just doing it naturally with people. But when we are in a loving relationship with a family member, uh, whether it be in a marriage or as a parent, then quite often we will intentionally try and get better at being that, uh, that in that marriage or in that uh, as a parent. We'll even go on parenting courses or marriage courses. Mm. Uh, and yeah, when it comes to evangelism, people go, "Oh no, no, no! I can't be trained in this. This, this, this that feels like as, as if it's manipulative with people." Um, mm. But actually, if we love them and we long for them to know Jesus, who loves them, then I think that that practice and that intentionality is is the only way that we get to that place where we, we've got some confidence in this. Mm. Yeah, I think that that's um, quite significant. Actually, I remember a couple of years ago, um, you know, I was you know, always asking the question, oh, how do I share my faith? Um, how do I do that? And one of my spiritual men- mentors back then actually encouraged me to become part of a little cluster group with four to five other people where we just focus on all things evangelism. So we would together mm-hmm. as a group um, explore certain resources that would help us to share our faith. It, it always goes back. To, it goes back to the point that John was making about this whole role play thing. So we would practice in a group how to how you might want to share your story. Um, and actually, within this cluster group, we would also share personal experiences of evangelism, which was usually quite encouraging and helpful as well. Um, mm. So that was quite helpful for me. But again, going back to the point of sharing your story um, or sharing your testimony, it can also be quite that could also be quite um, a real helpful and usually a great starting point. Um, and you might want to actually share your faith story by um, you know, using the three categories. So um, sharing how before you came to faith, how you came to faith and the difference your faith makes now. Um, and, I, and I believe that, you know, when we share our testimony, it can actually help. It, sometimes it can help people to articulate the story of Jesus in their own life. And it can give them an element of confidence of how to share that. And when I have shared my testimony with other people, it usually leads to organic and fruitful conversations so yeah that's really mm. what i would how i would respond mm. to that i think if i look back at my own life um probably what led me to the faith well, i think what, what definitely led me to the faith i think um was just the holiness of my grandmother um mm. she just went to the village church sunday by sunday and she was just a wonderful person uh filled with love and holiness actually uh and I think there's something, I think my advice to people, first and foremost, and that's what, certainly what we would say in the Catholic tradition, the first thing is you must be faithful, you must be holy, because otherwise mm. you have the most, you know, most compelling and interesting story in the world. But if your life doesn't look like it, um, then people see through that straight away. Um, so I think it all, it, it all must spring from 
a deep holiness, a deep love of Jesus, and allowing his love to flow from you. So first of all, you look credible. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I would say. So I, I think good evangelism, effective evangelism, spends, actually springs from deep relationships, in my experience. Um, and, and I think, actually, oddly enough, if I'd asked my grandmother, can you tell me the story? She could have told me some of the things the Lord Jesus said, but she largely would have said, well, come to be with me in church. You'll, you'll find out why I am as I am when you come there. Um, but she was so authentic um, that it was the most natural thing in the world to do. So so I think that's a key thing. And I and I was struck very much, actually, the other day. There's probably, well, a couple of things that are slightly related, actually. But I think, I think perhaps I'll tell you this one first of all. I, I remember, I don't know if you all remember back the Toronto Blessing. I can't remember when that was now, a long time back, wasn't it? Uh, mm. all the controversy wasn't it about you know, sort of people making sort of inhuman noises and all the rest of it um, um, and I remember the Archbishop of York at the time, David Hope um, <clears throat> said a very wise thing I thought, he said I'm not worried about what people are like when they're writhing about on the floor I'm worried about what, what I'm looking for is what they're like when they stand up again what's their life like after this experience uh, and I think that's the thing, it's speak, speaking to holiness you know, people who are authentically holy and filled with God's love, um, that will lead people naturally to curiosity, I think, about why is this person so different to the world around them? Why they have peace, why they have hope, why they have a real heart for me? Why do they notice me when nobody else does? Um, so I, so I, I think good evangelism springs from a deep holiness. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I really agree with that, Philip. I think that it's exactly what that verse says, is, is people should be asking... Why, why are you managing to live like this? Because um, what's behind that? And then we give a reason for the hope that we have. Um, I think the challenge is, is that I think that there are a lot of people out there who are doing that, who are living really good lives and who people around them would say, there's something really good about that person. The challenge is, is quite often they haven't actually said anything about their faith. And so people then don't connect their goodness with christian faith and and i think that we've we've almost been silenced as a church and so we mustn't miss what you're talking about because you know the worst case is where you have somebody who is living terribly and yet goes around trying to tell everybody about jesus and there's just a complete lack of integrity and authenticity there Um, but i think if people are able to live those holy lives they do need help then in in being able to speak about it because I don't think that we've got these local parishes anymore where people automatically know, oh, you go to church, therefore this goodness of you comes from there, I better go there. Um, they just miss the connection without us being able to speak about it. And I think that's why this is so crucial. I think in the, you know, it's a good sized community collectively, but it still is a proper community. Mm, that's true. Um, and I think there's still that natural evangelism goes on here. Um, because it's much more connected than a city would be. Um, and, and I think probably that incarnational evangelism actually still is the game in town here, actually, largely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I think, and I think a lot of it is, well, you know, it's that thing about really listening to people is what the holy people do. Mm. They really listen. And then what we need to be able to help them to do is to say, ah, here's a need. I could at least offer to pray for that person. Um, mm. And it's crazy. a lot of my people say, well, would you like us to pray for you? You know, mm. or they, our tradition, they say, we'll light a candle for you at church. And it just kind of gets the conversation going. You, you know what I mean? And, and, and I think yeah, so really good. 
that thing about your holiness gives you a lot of natural bridges but i think it, you've got to be listening for the little opportunities because i think a holy person really listens to other people because the holy spirit helps us to do that i absolutely i 100 would want to endorse everything that's been said and i think that holiness is almost a forgotten discipline in the church we don't talk about it as often as we should we don't make appearing different from the world around us um the good thing that it is that it's supposed to be you know as christians we're supposed to be countercultural. um but i just wonder if you know you get two types of people don't you? you get the glass half full and the glass half empty a glass half empty christian might be incredibly holy uh, but not view themselves as such and in fact paradoxically the holier that you are the more you're aware of your unholiness and so holiness doesn't equal perfection unless you're a certain type of Wesleyan. Um, you know, they're not the same thing. And so we're not saying that you've got to, you know, do the tick box every day. And if, and if today's a day when you haven't been conscious of doing any sin, then you're good to go out and evangelise. Uh, we're saying if there's that orientation towards holiness uh, and if there's something in your life, um, because I, I would hate to be in a position, a bit like you know, starting a family. If you wait till you're ready, you're never going to start a family. Um, if you wait till you're holy, you're, you might never evangelize. So, so I would definitely want to to see a link between life and lip, and I think that's crucial. Um, but I'd hate to think of half the people listening to this podcast thinking, "Oh well, I'm not holy, so I'm off the I'm off the evangelism hook, mm. or I don't qualify." Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Uh, and the entry point, I suppose, in terms of our evangelism, is helping people to realize that none of us are holy. Yeah, that there's no one, no one righteous, not even one, and that we start in that position, um, and then grace is offered. Yeah, I think I've got a question though, and I don't want to detract what we're talking about. But Philip, I noticed you mentioned incarnational evangelism. Do you just very briefly want to expand on that? Because some people may not know what you mean by that. Yeah, well, it's, it is this thing actually. Um, I suppose actually, some controversial, really. I would say, you know, in many ways, it is the classic Anglican thing. Um, you know, about the priest in the parish who really knows the people. So you share the whole of their life. Mm. Um, so that's the first thing. So so I think it's that thing about um, when you share in life, the community, you really know what it's about. Um, and, and out of that uh, deep sharing um, in everybody else's life, um, you, you then that, that's kind of like the seed for the gospel really you know that, that's 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 the earth that's the soil out of which the um the good news is able to able to spring so um it, it it's it's the difference between um you know there's there's kind of like helicopter evangelism isn't there where somebody just sort of comes in says good news and off they go yeah um whereas incarnational evangelism is actually you're living in the same community these people you're mm -hmm. having the same life experience as they are but you're not doing as the world does you know, if you look at if you look at the testimony about the early Christians, there's, there's that wonderful piece, isn't there? I forget if it was Tacitus or somebody said about how the Christians don't live like this. You know, they live they live in society, but they don't live like they're part of society. Mm -hmm. They live for a different set of values. Um, and so, an incarnational evangelism means that you're rooted in your community. You know, you experience what everybody else does, but you're living the gospel in the midst of it all. So you're not walking in step with it all. But you deeply understand it and also incarnational evangelism springs from the fact that we believe deeply that everybody's made in the image of god so if you get to the root of every single person on the earth you do find goodness that's a very important you know principle for catholic evangelism um, we start with the goodness of humanity which is being damaged by sin 
and is now redeemed by Christ. If I could just pick up on that, in that I, I think that works in parishes, but I think it works just in every um, society, sphere of society, in that it's exactly what you said, Philip, which is about sharing life with people and living close to them. And, and so I think that works in cities when we build friendships and we, and we share life with people. Um, but I think in those relationships, in just as Jesus did in his incarnation, we then have to, to speak. And as Jesus said to the 12 and the 72, he sent them out to tell people about the good news of the kingdom, um, as well as living holy and good lives with them. And I think that, that coming back to all those challenges we were talking about before about sharing faith, it, it feels as if a lot of people are doing that incarnational lifestyle, but they're stuck. They're not they're not yes. in a place where they've got a confidence to speak of uh, of Jesus uh, to other people. And I and I think that that's where we really need to, in this new focus on evangelism in the church, think through how how we equip people to do that. And you know, I remember with with a number of the friends that I've seen come to faith, it was it was just going to the pub, it was going for coffee with people, and and it was sharing lives, and then just knowing how to how to connect what God's done in me with them so it becomes good news for them and they begin to see in my story as V was saying earlier in terms of telling my story of God's work in my life they, they then go oh that could happen for me rather than this person who is so holy and they look at them and they go well that could never be me and so the speaking of it I think really matters I'll just tell one story and then I'd love V to say more about testimony because you were saying how important that is earlier and so I was, I was in a coffee shop with a friend. Uh, we was, I was getting grumpy about the people walking in and out smoking outside. And so they're letting the cold in, they were letting the smoke in. And my friend said to me, did you ever smoke? And I said, yeah, I smoked for six months when I was 11. He said, what? What were you doing when you were 11? I said, I was a real terror. I was in all kinds of trouble. And he said, yeah, but now you're a vicar. And so I then get the opportunity to tell the story of how God broke into my life as a teenager, brought me to faith and how I've been following him ever since. I told that story to him in the coffee shop. He then had a tear in his eye and he said to me, I want that to happen for me. Mm. And, mm. and I never knew that until I'd shared my story with him. Mm. And so it was the speaking of it that opened up the opportunity for him to say, I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he then came to faith and He's now ordained. Um, and so that's what God can do. But without the speaking, he would never have got there. Yeah. Um, so, V, I don't know what you what your thoughts on, because you mentioned testimony first on this call. Yeah. I, I mean, well, I just I actually wanted to say something quite different because and this will this will be the final thing that I say. Um, you know, I've heard people say stuff like, you know, share the gospel, preach the gospel, or share the gospel. And if necessary, use words. Um, I don't think that's quite right, because you know I mean I've heard people say oh yeah you know it's all about just being nice to people show them love and they will come to know Jesus and I think there needs to be a healthy balance between sharing our faith um, in deed but also in word so we need to actually actively tell people and this whole thing of you know share the gospel and if necessary use words I just think you know, I, I don't quite believe in that and I don't think that's right really. I, I, I agree with you I it's attributed to St. Francis, isn't it? And um, and St. Francis of Assisi, and I'm sure he never said it, 
Um, but if he did, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be like, you know, <laughs> yes, they're, they're pretty it, confident that he did, he never did say it. That's what they that's that's what they've done now on the research. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think I think seriously, there is a sense in which because we're human and because we're flawed, even in the church, we tend to always swing from one extreme to the other, and we tend to deal much more easily with either or than both and. And yeah. I think what what's coming out in this conversation is that actually the way in which we live out our faith and the imperative to speak about it are actually inextricably linked, aren't they? I, I think as well, you know, it's that thing about um, it's peppering our ordinary speech with references to the Lord, just, you know, just a natural mm. way. Um, and also, I suppose in a sense, you know, being a parish priest, in a sense, you're a public Christian, which makes life a lot easier. Uh, I think the harder thing for uh, for the folks is then, you know, they need to learn to be a public Christian in the way that I am one. Um, and that's a challenge. Um, you know, whereas, whereas I think when you're in the workplace, I mean, I I was always, you know, I didn't go on about it, but people, well, so I did go on about it a bit. But, I mean, people did know I was a Christian and went to church. Mm. Um, and, and I did find that people came and sought me out because of that. Mm. They were, life was a mess or they wanted somebody to listen to them or it was interesting they'd come speak to me about that probably rather than one of the other colleagues who you know was great but they didn't come to them with that See, um, i was thinking about this the other day similar to what you're saying because i i think some of my best evangelism or most of my best evangelism happened before i was ordained so <laughs> so nowadays i often get the opportunity to you know stand in front of a couple of hundred people and give a gospel message and, you know, and, and, you know, do the talk, tell the, tell the stories, tell the jokes, do the whole, you know, John 3.16 and call them, you know, a bit of revelation on 21 or whatever, you know, <laughs> to do that thing and call people to repentance in that kind of upfront, sometimes slightly artificial way. Uh, but I remember I became a Christian when I was 20. And I remember between the ages of like 20 and about 27, I was working for British Telecom, BT at the time. And I just remember countless conversations with ordinary people um at lunchtime in pubs because that was the work culture in those days or um, i played football i played cricket you know in those sort of environments i remember constant conversations i remember taking people to evangelistic events i remember being able to flag people coming to church and i remember on a one-to-one basis leading people to the lord and i actually think in the time i've been ordained i through alpha courses christianity explore courses that i've led i've seen people become christians I've seen people respond to talks and that, but I don't think I've one-to-one led anyone to faith for 20 years. And it was a more common wow. part of my life before I was ordained. You know, I've, you know, I've, I've been the clinch the deal person and someone's walked to the front and someone else said a prayer with them kind of thing. Um, but I think some of the best opportunities I had in my life were actually when I was in the secular world and didn't, uh, I wasn't batched as a pro-Christian. I think a lot of people, probably me included, definitely me included, a lot of us become Christians because of non-ordained people, okay? Mm. But then the way I grow as a Christian and remained a Christian and grew in my faith and developed in my faith and wanted to keep on being a Christian, that's all to do with the church and the priests and the sacraments and the teaching and all of that and the fellowship. So so I think that the, you know, that, that sort of conversion part for me, yes, that was a lot to do with, you know, non-ordained people. But that nurturing the faith, the growing in the faith, the being fed by the sacraments, all of that, which is utterly essential to me flourishing as a Christian, that's all mm. to do with the church and mm. everything else. So so I think I think 
you know, we, we you do need both. Just like we were saying earlier, you need faith and works. You know, you need the message and the holiness. So also you need the evangelism moment, but then you need growth in holiness, which you only find as you grow to full, full life in Christ within the church. And, that, and that's for, for me, again, as a Catholic, you see, we we struggle a lot with kind of like, um, I remember once I was in the clock tower, by the clock tower, and, you know, you get, you, there's, there's the street preachers there, aren't there? And I had mm. this preaching the thing, and this chap came and made his thing, and the guy um, gave him his card and said, well done, you're a child of God, off you go. You know, mm -hmm. I thought, well, great, but unless you actually root him in the church and help him grow in holiness, this is likely to be like parable of the seed and the sower, most, you know, very yeah. likely. Mm. That's right. Um, and we, we need it all together. Yeah, I, I really agree with that, Philip. And uh, and I think, um, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was Leslie Newbegin who said that a churchless mission is mm. as horrific as a missionless church. Yeah. And, yeah. and the church really is at the heart of it. The thing I'd want to add into that is that the church is responsible for the nurture and the discipleship, the, the holiness, the, the sacraments, um, the, the teaching. But it's also meant to be the place that people are trained and equipped uh, mm. to live as witnesses for Jesus Christ. And, mm. and I think that's the bit that we've missed yeah. in that we've separated mission and discipleship. Um, uh, you shouldn't have to say this, this sort of new word that we use, missional, as an adjective to describe people, because it should be right there at the heart of discipleship. Yeah. But we've separated it out. And we've said, given people a picture of, of following Jesus without being on mission with him. And, and we, need to, we need to own the, our failure as, as, yeah. as leaders of the church. I remember at Holy Trinity, I, I asked our best leaders of our missional communities, as we call them, uh, how many of you have shared your faith in the last year? And I gave them a really broad way of saying what that looked like, but just spoken of Jesus, offering to pray, told a testimony, just uh, said something about the relevance of the Christian faith to an issue, and less than 20% of them had. And I wept. And I wept over my failure as a priest to equip them. And I wept over the fact that we, we've got a culture in which this wasn't natural and people weren't confident in this. And so we went on a journey of trying to learn why that was. Because it wasn't that people didn't want to, it wasn't that people didn't agree that it was a good thing to do. They just weren't doing it. and. And it was this learning how to equip people appropriately without putting too much pressure on them, without um, uh, yeah, making them feel guilty and, and, and obligated, but just giving them some tools and some training that then just begin to give them uh, a sense of how they could do it. And then in, particularly for us in small groups, creating um, an appropriate accountability, a vision for it, where people told their testimonies of how they've been sharing faith, and then a sense of, well, how are we getting on? And if we're not doing well, then why is that? What, what do we need to do about that? Uh, and we went on that journey, and we just saw God transform people, and they began to share. And it was because the church became an equipping place. Um, I'll just tell one story just because it's such a great story. Um, there's a member of the church who said, John, I'm just not one of those Christians. I can't share my faith. I'm going through the training you're doing in my small group because I'm part of the church, but but I'm never going to do this. And then she came to me one Sunday and she said, John, you never guess what happened. But on uh, on uh, Wednesday in, in our office at the university when I'm in the administration, 
and my my colleague who sits next to me was just having such a miserable time and telling me how how, how difficult her life was that before I could stop myself I did what you've been training us to do in our groups which is I said could I pray with you and she yeah. said yes yeah. and I prayed with her and she was clearly touched by God and then she said afterwards, do you know, for the last three months, I've gone to bed every night saying, God, if you're there, I need to know you're there because something has to change in my life. And nobody had known that until this member of Holy Trinity had just had the courage to say, could I pray with you? Mm. And that just yes. opened her up to God. And that came out of a supportive group that was exactly what like V was saying earlier, um, uh, just to encourage people in their faith sharing have a bit of an accountability that isn't pressurizing but is supportive and some tools to get them going and i think we've done a bit of that with everyday faith in the diocese john i think that's been really good um, mm. and i think it's that kind of thing that, that just gets people going yeah in terms of the sort of barriers to evangelism that's one of the lower ones is offering mm. to someone. that's not that's a natural thing it's a reflexive thing for christians yeah you know um uh, and I think I think as well one of the other things I think which I always am challenged about is 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 you know our word we use you know we call Eucharist the Mass mostly, um, and that mean, that comes from the last words of the service in the Latin mm. means go out. So so basically yeah. you've okay. come to church, you've heard the word of God, you've been present at the crucifixion of Jesus sacramentally, you've received His life into your life. Mm. Now go and take that life out into the world. That's what it says. Go out and take that life into the world. Um, and so I think it, it is this thing about helping people to just, yeah. And, and I think that natural thing about praying, this whole thing about we're a royal priesthood. And I would say to our mm. folks, you know, that what you are set aside for is to pray for the world because nobody else is going to do it. God's called you into church at the very least to pray for the world, um, and that means in everyday life as well. You know, so so I think I think prayer is a is a is a real is is an easier way into natural God conversations and evangelism. Because all Christians should be able to say, the least we should be able to say to somebody is, well, can I pray for you? Yeah. So if prayer is one of the kind of, I think you use the phrase low bar, I quite like that as sort of a reflexive um, kind of response to, to, to people who we encounter. Um, perhaps one of the high bar things is the, the fear of, of how to deal with a difficult question. Because I'm sure you, know, you, you three guys like me have often heard people say, look, I'm really nervous about sharing my faith because someone might ask me a difficult question or, or a question that I can't provide an answer to. What would be your advice or encouragement or help for that person? Well, I, I, th I think that we, we mustn't professionalise this thing of evangelism. Yeah. And so the idea that you, there's a right way of doing it and there's a, there's a perfect answer, um, I think just intimidates so many people. And so I think that's, again, what we've done is we've said, I could never answer it the way you could. Yeah. And therefore, I'm disqualified for being used by God. Mm. So I do come back to this thing about telling our story, um, because uh, I think that if we're talking about sharing our story, then we really know the details of that. And it, it's real and it's authentic and it's coming out of who we are. And so we're not stumped by that at all. If after we've started to talk about things as a Christian with somebody or they, they've seen something on the news and they ask a big question, and you don't know the answer, then we always say to people, you know, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm, for me, I know that, that God is real and that he's, he's watching over us and he's, he's with us in all of this, but I, I can't answer your question. So would it be all right if I just went away and thought about this and had a look at 
some things to bring back to you. Mm. And, and people are just really happy for that to happen. And I think that's where something of the church works because not every one of us is going to be a great um, person who's into apologetics sort of defending the faith. Um, but if we don't know the answer, we can go back to somebody and say, how would you answer that? And then we can go back to that person. Uh, so I, I'd say to people, you know, people are not going to not come to faith because you didn't give the perfect answer. <laughs> yeah, but they right. might not come to faith if you never say anything. So it's much better just to take the risk, share some things. And if there's ever a moment when you're struggling, just give them that answer. I don't know, but I'd love to come back to you with an answer. I had um, I had a, a sort of similar thing. I had quite an, an epiphany years and years ago singing a hymn, which I probably haven't sung for goodness twenty odd years. Um, I cannot tell, um, and it's a really interesting hymn because the way that the hymn writer has structured it, the first half of every verse is a bunch of questions, and the hymn writer is just putting it out there and saying, "I really don't get this. It's too big for my mind." And then the second part of each verse is, comes back with this kind of question, "But this I know." Um, for me, that's that's been a, a great model. If someone asks a question that really is a difficult one, mm. then I'm happy to say, look, as you said, John, you know, that's a really good question. I, I'm not sure I can really properly answer that, but I'll tell you what I do know. And then, mm. you know, perhaps, you know, when I've been at times when life has been at its most difficult and so and so, I've been glad that I've been going through that with Jesus with me rather than on my own or whatever. But that kind of mm. honest, I don't know, but this I do know um, seems to really work as an approach. Um, it, it's both honest but positive. I think that's really helpful. And so, um, if we can, and this all comes back to the, the sort of the equipping of people, because there has to be a context in church for us to say to people, like you've just said, I don't always have the answer, because they look at people who are confident and they go, oh, I could never be like them. And this comparison thing just disqualifies mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And so, if we can say, yeah, I don't always have the answer. And I get it wrong. And yet God God uses it somehow. And and we're not expected to be the experts. We're not expected to be perfect. We're just expected to, to just share something. And and the thing that begins to get people going is when they share something and they see how people do receive it well, they see how people are touched by what they offer, then then suddenly. This creates a new dynamic of joy and a sense of being used by God. And it, and it really connects into their discipleship. Whereas I think that what happens for us is we end up being fearful, shut off, um, shut down as Christians. And our discipleship becomes very thin in yeah. terms of just being very personal and not engaged in the world. And suddenly when people are released into this, it's not a it's it's, it's not a, a something that is destructive and burdensome. It becomes a joy when they begin to see that other people connect with God through what they're sharing, um, and so just taking all the pressure off is, I think, one of the big things we need to do in church. So I mean, we're coming towards the end of our conversation now, um, and I think you touched on it there, John. But um, for open to others as well, um, what is it? that makes sharing our faith exciting rather than just becoming kind of a, an onerous guilt and duty trip, you know, something on our following Jesus to-do list that we might not really want to do. What makes what, what can make it exciting rather than just duty? 
Yeah, I think for me, um, the reason why it makes it so exciting, because, you know, the gospel, uh, you know, sharing our gospel and sharing our story can actually present true hope. Um, I love what um, the late Eastern European statement, uh, Thakla Haffel, when he said, hope is not the conviction that something will always turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense, regardless of how it turns out. Um, so likewise, you know, when we share the gospel and when we share our story, I think for me, we are presenting true hope um, to the world in a deep way that, you know, living and walking with God brings true hope and true meaning. But also when Paul um, was writing to the Christians in Ephesus, he actually reminded them that they were once without hope and without God in the world, um, you know, that their situation was the worst it could possibly be. Um, they were dead in their transgressions. They were dead in their sins. But God, full of love and mercy, you know, reached out to them and brought them new life in Jesus. So when we share our faith with others, we offer the hope that can only be found in God through Jesus Christ. Um, but another thing that just for me personally, when I have um, engaged with people, you know, on the streets, people that really, really that wouldn't call themselves Christians, they usually tend to be quite open to talking about Jesus but when you mention church they're like nope I don't want to talk about church but they're quite open to talking about Jesus and it's always made mm. me think why is that why are most people out there quite open to talking about Jesus but not open to talking about church and I find that quite exciting actually that they want to talk about Jesus yeah I think that for me that uh, it's it's this sense of that we become this connecting point um this priestly ministry of between God and his love for people and, and their need of him. And the fact that I could be part of that is an incredible privilege. And the fact that when I do it and God uses me, wow, isn't that an incredible thing to say that the God of the universe has used me with all of my failings mm. to connect somebody else to him. And and then when people do come to faith, and again, I think this is one of the challenges in churches, is because we haven't stepped into this, then we don't have within our um, within our church communities the stories of the people who've come to faith recently. But when they come to faith, boy, is that exciting because they're telling their story of how transformed they are through coming to know Jesus yes. and the difference he's making them to, uh, for for their lives. Because most of us have come to faith many, many years ago, and we know the goodness of it, but we don't know the difference because it's become just our daily lives. But you see the difference in somebody who comes to faith, and it's absolutely transformative, and they're full of it, and they're full of joy, and it refreshes you. And so I really do think it's, it's something, it's a missing element, that if we think that the Christian faith works for us if we're not sharing faith and, and people aren't coming to faith in church then we've got a distorted picture of what church is is like and mm. and i know it's difficult as we've said right at the beginning and i know that that causes us to want to step away from that to go oh i don't think this works anymore so i i, I think we just have to settle with this I, I think we have to just have a courage to say lord we're really struggling in our church with this we're really struggling personally with this but I really believe that your Holy Spirit is with me. Yes. He was sent to help me to be a witness for you. Would you help me do this? Would you show us how to grow in this? Because it's a vital element of discipleship. It's a vital element of church. And, and I think that part of the struggle of the church at the moment is it's just not there for many people. Yes. 
Tell you something which is um, I, I, I've just thought this literally now, but uh, and this is quite self-indulgent. There's always something about legacy. Uh, I mean, it's almost certain mm. our great great grandchildren won't even know what our name was. You know, mm. there are very few things that ordinary people like us can do, and the legacy will be eternal. Mm. You lead a person to Christ, and you've got an eternal legacy, mm. even if your great great grandchildren don't know what your name was. Um, yeah, that's quite cool, isn't it? Wow, mm, that's, amazing. that's powerful. Thank you for that, John. Yeah, really exciting. And it seems to me, John, I think I think one of the um, you know things what, what makes evangelism exciting, it's really tied up with just the excitement of living the Christian life, isn't it? Mm-hmm. When we live the life of when Christ lives His life within us, and we're born to a new life, and we have fullness of life, and all of that, that's just the greatest thing, isn't it? And as we as we live that life, um, these opportunities come along for us to share our faith just by really listening attentively to people and seeing which doors God is gradually opening. Um, so I think that's really important. I, th- I think the thing I would like to pick up there, actually, was saying about why is it that people seem interested in Jesus but not in the church? I always have a bit of quite a big problem with that, actually, because I, I think Jesus is one with the church. They're, they're indivisible. Uh, and there's no kind of Christianity which is not part of the church they're just that you know it's an oxymoron mm. um and i think i think for me perhaps a cynical old parish priest now after all these years is that if we're not careful people saying oh, i'm interested in jesus i'm not interested in the church it can be a bit like new age spirituality if you're not careful where you get yeah. all the nice bits of the faith but you don't have to give sacrificially you don't have to necessarily repent of your sins if you don't want to you're not being held to account you're not getting out of bed on a Sunday to go to mass. You're just doing whatever you like, really, but you've still got a fluffy Jesus in the corner who you can turn to from time to time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so I'm, I'm really struggle with that because I think the church, living the Christian life, it's a you know, discipline and disciple. They're the same route. Mm. You know, we follow the regular life of the Christian. We go to mass. We confess our sins every Sunday. We give generously. We hear the scriptures. We pray for the world. Mm. We live a good life we do all of those things um and the church roots us in that because we're part of the body this individual individualized christianity in the end peters off into new age spirituality i think at its best what you're describing is almost a kind of sort of therapeutic theism isn't it absolutely it's not christianity i think the point i was trying to make though is i have lots of friends who wouldn't call themselves christians and actually, when you start with this whole element of let's talk about church, they're like, no, I don't want to talk about church because actually, um, you know, to them, they view church as a place full of hypocrites. But when you talk about Jesus, they tend to be quite open to it. So I think I was, I was more coming from a place of, mm. you know, friends who want to talk about Jesus and just going on a journey with them. And then obviously maybe throughout um, the journey, they would be open to coming into a Christian community. Um, could I just, because uh, I think, Philip, you've, you've just dropped a bomb there and you <laughs> we're just about to finish. So it's, I think that's a brilliant statement. The problem of what you said is that the people in the world um, don't don't recognise the goodness of the church. Mm. And that's not because necessarily of the church, even it's because of the way society has changed in which we don't respect institutional leadership anymore. Yeah. And so there's a massive disconnect between institutional religion and and the, the culture around us. So yeah. I agree with everything you said in terms of 
discipleship has to be integrated into the church. But the starting point for people that, that V was talking about is not going to be the church in 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 some contexts it might be inflecting, but certainly in the city of Leicester, it's not going to be the church. And the church has to be something that is at a at a further stage down the line of their faith journey. And mm. they and they they have to meet the church in the people who are who are the followers of Christ mm. and then come into the life of the church corporately. Yes. Um, in a journey and and that for me is why we've struggled so much because we've said come to church <laughs> some people will do that but lots of people go what don't even know what church is I don't even know why I'd even be interested in that and and that's particularly on the younger age profile and that's the other thing in the church we've got to name which is mm -hmm. is is children young people young adults they're not connecting with institutional church and yes. we've got to do something about that. So I'm agreeing with you, but I'm also challenging it, saying we end up just looking at everything through a church lens. We're yeah. never going to reach people. So it's almost about the start. Where's, where's the starting point of the conversation? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, when, when Paul um, is in Athens and he looks around and he, he says to, to the people, you know, oh, I noticed you had a, a statue, an idol to an unknown God. Well, let me tell you about mm. You don't know about this. It's almost finding what's the point of connection yeah. and conversationally with those who are a long way off. Maybe that point of connection is the person of Jesus and the message of the gospel um, with the knowledge that if we don't ultimately plug them into the family of believers, um, then we haven't taken them to where they need to be. Yes. Finally, let's talk resources. Um, are there any resources from your experience you through which you would recommend either to churches um, or to individuals to help them? in their evangelism and their faith sharing a any stuff you've discovered or even created uh, which is <laughs> well well because i'm training with church army i just thought let me just get a bit of church army in here um, mm. so actually i've often used one of their resources called faith pictures um so faith pictures is actually designed to help christians um you know, talk naturally to friends, neighbours and colleagues about what they believe in a natural and an open way. So um, Faith Pictures is a six sessions course and I recommend it to churches. And really the heart of this course is about helping people to identify a single picture or an image that, um, you know, embodies something of their faith. Because, you know, mainly the kinds of communication which best stick in the mind are concrete and rooted in story. Um, I highly recommend Fate Pictures because it's lighthearted, it's accessible without jar jargon, um, and also it's, you know, it has a lot of emphasis on the avoidance of a one-size-fits-all model, but also it places emphasis on honesty and listening. Um, so each session contains a short video and then it encourages discussion in pairs or as a whole group. And I think this Faith Pictures would be a, a great resource for churches and small groups. Um, so if you need some more information about that, I would recommend people, to, if you just go on Google and type in Faith Pictures Church Army and there'll be lots of information about it. So that's almost kind of like... Um light touch alpha is it that it's actually creating conversation it's a group thing it's not an individual down the pub or in the coffee shop or, or you're going for a walk type of one-to-one -one evangelism but it a small group of inquirers it's a way into the conversation is that right that's right yes brilliant thank you if i could just chip in uh and 
say that uh, through all the stuff we did at Holy Trinity, I've ended up producing uh, a resource that's been published um, in July uh, called Mission Shapes Living. And uh, it's about helping people just to do that incarnational witness of living day by day, but giving them a pattern of prayer around that, giving them patterns of relationships within the church to help each other and support each other with that. And then giving them some just very practical tools um, to begin to grow in confidence with, which they can use as and when they, there, there is opportunity. And we've done this with a number of different churches and it's, it's been really well received. And so if people are interested in that, it's called Mission Shape Living. There's a, a leader's guide for somebody who leads it within a group setting. And then there is a participant's guide for people to journal and to pray through things and reflect on things as well as some additional material for each person to think about during the week in between the, the, the group sessions. Uh, so that will be available um, from July. You can pre-order it on Amazon and other booksellers, and it will be available in our local uh, Christian bookshop as Christian resources as well. I've got to use it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not on any commission at all for this. I'm not involved, <laughs> but I've read, I've read through the... I don't know what it's called, is it the draft or, or whatever? Right. And yeah, absolutely loved it. Uh, and a lot of some of you will know that before coronavirus hit, um, we had over a thousand people around the diocese doing uh, a diocese and link course and um, trying to help people to share their faith, um, everyday witness course. Uh, and a lot of that material, with John's permission, was kind of based on thinking and stuff that he'd done in mission shaped living. So, whereas what V recommended was uh, really a way of getting inquirers in groups. Uh, with Christians exploring uh, the Christian faith and the gospel. John's, um, the one that John's just spoken about, the mission shaped living, is all about getting people who are Christians uh, confident in sharing their faith mm -hmm. out in the world, their friends and families and networks of contact. Um, Philip, did you have any that, uh, anything that... A couple of things. Firstly, I'll just say, um, if you've got anybody who's any way you've got a relationship with... Um, if you can afford it, try and take them on one of the pilgrimages to Walsingham because we've we have found um, if you know, it's children's pilgrimage, it's young people's pilgrimage, it's weekend pilgrimage, just that business of going there, being with them, spending time with them, the worship and all of that, they'll come back a different person. We've found that time and time and time and time again. So so really think about that if you can do that. But the, you know, the people in the relationship, I've had that people who are quite a long way off. Have come back very different very very different so that's been god always delivers there um then in terms of stuff you can use at home um uh on the internet um bishop lindsay Irwin, uh christ church brunswick wonderful evangelistic preacher mm. uh but but a very nice um easy style so you could use those resources in sharing faith um we also use, and we found it's fantastic actually, the Catholic Agency for Evangelization, CAFE. Um, amazing videos they produce. Um, we've seen sun stunning results with those. Um, people in tears and all sorts of things, and it's just been amazing. Um, and we, we've obviously found that combination of things like we'll take them to Warsingham, those sort of resources, Bishop Rob Barron, Father Stephen Wang, all other good people. Um, it just oh, prizes open the heart, and we've seen wonderful, wonderful results from those. So that's really you. So that's sort of very much in a Catholic context. And I suppose the broad principle there is something about exposing people in, in a different sort of setting, a more charismatic or evangelical or whatever, 
exposing people to a kind of lively encounter with worship, that there's actually an inherent power in that. And then, you know, we've, we've mentioned a few of them ac- across us. There, there are various tools. I guess we all know about Alpha courses uh, and, and, and the countless number of people around the world who've come to faith through that, Christianity Explored, etc. Um, but, but, yeah, there is something about exposing people, giving people that invitation to be a part of real worship, because for most people, I think they've rejected something they've never experienced. Mm. <laughs> and, and so, you know, for, for people to to have that um, encounter with God in worship, uh, even if they don't know what's going on around them, can sometimes have its own kind of pulling power as well. So and it has to, be root, has to be rooted in those authentic relationships. That's the mm. other thing. So it's that investment of human time and capital. So, you know, you still need that bedrock of the strong relationships out of which everything else will then spring. And, and it's really interesting. I mean, coming to a close now, but something that I've done in various churches around the diocese um, are sort of one evening sessions, sort of a two, two hours of an evening uh, about personal evangelism. Uh, and I always start it off with um, a whole range of different things on a board, um, which uh, um, you know, might vary from reading the Bible on your own, going to Sunday school as a small child, uh, an experience of God, you know, uh, probably 15, 20 things. And I start off by saying, OK, to how many people in the room, you've got as many red stickers as you want. Vote for every one of those things that was key in you coming to faith. And the board's plastered with stickers. You know, a lot of people have sort of six, seven categories. And then I say, OK, you've got a green sticker. You can only vote for one. What was the most pivotal of all of those, humanly speaking, in you coming to faith in Jesus? And every time, it's kind of like 90% of the green stickers are on something that involves a relationship with another person, almost ordinary, an ordinary lay person. But they'll say that that, yeah, it could be a Sunday school teacher, it might be a parent, it might be a Christian colleague, a Christian student at university or whatever, but whatever it was, it's almost always a relational, personal link that, humanly speaking, was the key factor, which is amazing. Yeah. Well, we've reached the end of another podcast, um, but as ever, our hope is that our conversation today uh, gives birth to many more conversations uh, around the diocese. So here are a few questions for you to ponder which might help to focus some of those questions in your home groups, small groups, churches, uh, or fresh expressions. Um, What do you find difficult about sharing your faith with not yet Christian friends? How would you answer someone who asked, what gives you the right to tell other people what they should believe? Have you had any good experiences of sharing your faith with others? How would you answer the question, what is the gospel? What might help you to be more confident in evangelism? Do you feel evangelism has a high enough place in the priorities of your church or fresh expression? Does evangelism have a high enough place in your personal discipleship priorities? And how would you tell your own faith story using the categories before I came to faith, how I came to faith and the difference my faith makes now. Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. My thanks to V, to Philip and to John. Uh, And we'll be back next week for another podcast, Rethinking Aloud. Uh, It's good to talk. It's good to reflect and to think about our faith. So thank you for your company. And until the next podcast, stay safe and be blessed.